is. What I try to do every weekend during December is give you some gifts that will help you. Again, it's, it's too late now, but you can maybe put these on your list for another time. So I have four gifts for you today as we finish out this uh, Christmas season. The first one is a gift, um, it, it, I guess it's for adults, but I think it's such a great gift to show little kids, right? Do you ever, if you're ever around little kids, do you like teasing them? Yeah, I, I love teasing my grandson. I love teasing little kids. I do this thing where, you know, I'll like touch their finger and make it like electric shock, like, you know, and they're, and they're like freaking out. I do the thing where I can slide my finger off. Do you guys ever do that? Like, you know, little kids are like, what is going on? So I came across this, which I thought, man, if, if you're like toddler, we're talking like little kids, if they didn't know, this would totally freak them out. It's called Croc Socks, and it looks like eating your foot. I just think that's fantastic, man. You just freak the kids out doing that. All right. How many of you drink coffee every morning? Okay, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. How many of you drink more than two cups of coffee every morning? Keep your hand up if that's you. More than five. How many of you drink the whole pot? Right? Okay, okay, I see you guys. So we all probably have some people in our lives who, man, coffee in the morning is just that, I gotta have it, right? I gotta have some caffeine. I've gotta, gotta manage this together. But it's like, you know, you keep coming back for a cup after a cup and doing that. So I found this, think it's amazing. Um, it's a giant coffee mug. <laughs> Here's the deal. I actually went and like looked at the dimensions. It holds a gallon and a half, right? Some of you, some of you have like, you're looking at your spouse going, you need this, you need this right now. So if you're looking for that person, I think this is great. All right, this third gift actually started. These are all legit gifts. You can buy them. Uh, this started out for runners. And I know some of you are runners in this room. Some of you have seen me out and you graciously give me the title of runner, um, even though it's super slow. But uh, I found this and I thought, you know, this could really extend beyond runners. Cause like if, if you're in your house, you, know, you get up in the middle of the night, whatever it might be, uh, I just think it could be good for your slippers or anything else, but it's shoe headlights, <laughs> right? You know, and it even has a switch. You can go to high beams if you're passing somebody. No, I don't know if it does that or not. But anyway, I just thought, man, if you're out cruising around, you just have your headlights on your shoes. I think that's fantastic. All right, so that's number three. Number four, I'm gonna tell you right now, is a limited gift. It's a limited gift. It doesn't apply to all of you in this room, but I'm looking around this room and it definitely applies to some of you. It applies to me too. And I think it's one of those gifts when you look at someone and you go, what do you get the person who kind of has everything, but you just need to put, you know, a little bit something like just over the top. And so this is uh, bald head polish. <laughs> Some of you, like it's getting a little dull up there and this can really put a little shine on that. Nice for the holidays. So anyway, those are your gifts. I hope you can find something that works for you. <laughs> ah. Now imagine you're sitting around your living room with just some good friends and some family 
And I don't know if you're gonna be doing that this year. I don't know what this season looks like for you. But man, when we, when we think of, of all that Christmas is, right? I don't know if you've gone and looked at lights. We did the other night and went down Christmas tree lane and we went out. There's this house out on Vincent Road. Has anyone ever, has anybody guys been out there? It's amazing, like you, you turn your radio station to the dial, it's this whole thing with a song. So, I mean, we, we've seen all the lights, it's been fun at home. Came in yesterday and uh, my wife and my grandson, they were, they were making cookies, man, it just the smell in the house, like there's just some, some great memories along, along the way. Uh, I also have uh, memories of, of special people who have who have been lost over the years that have passed away during this time of year. And so there's always this blend of a whole lot of emotions, right? Different things that are going on. But there, there's so much to look forward to with hope. With hope. Um, we come to the end of the year and looking into the next year, and I know there's a lot going on in our culture, a lot of things happening around the world, and we see some of these things and it's, it's it's so easy for, for fear to set in or for nervousness or anxiety or those things. And I, and I get it in those things. But, but God is also our God of hope. And we can, we can trust him in that. So we're going to finish this series, which we've been in, which is called Wonder. And we've been looking at these four songs, really, from Scripture. The first one was Mary, and she sang this song. And, and for some of these, we don't know that they were actual songs. But in your Bible, they're actually kind of set out lyrically or like poetically, like um, they're centered usually in the middle of a paragraph. So there's something in this. It was an exclamation of, of praise and wonder and awe. So we saw Mary and we saw Zechariah and we saw the angels last week. And this week we're actually moving a little bit past Christmas, the actual Christmas story to a man named Simeon. And we're going to get to that in just, just a moment. But his was a song of hope. It was a song that he had been waiting and waiting and waiting and Christ came to fulfill the promise. And so it was this beautiful thing. I think it's a great way for us to enter into this, uh, into this Christmas season. <clears throat> I wanna start, uh, I was reading this article uh, recently and several, several decades ago actually, there was a research team of psychologists and uh, they were from Stanford University right over here and they ran a test on a group of four-year-olds. And it was an experiment that has been come, uh, has come to be known as the marshmallow test. And so what they did is they would bring these four-year-olds into the room and they would sit them down at the table and they would ask them questions or they would give them these small tasks to do. And as they completed each one or as they answered the test, they would give them a marshmallow. And these kids were just like, whoa. Right, you know, and so they'd answer, and these kids, you know, they're just following the marshmallow, you know, wherever they were, you know, whatever they asked them to do, these, these kids, these kids would do that. And, uh, at, at, and you know why it's called a marshmallow test, right? Because if they came in and said, I've got a Brussels sprout for you, like, you know, no kids, are gonna, they're not going to do anything. So it was these marshmallows. And so what they did is uh, about... Partway through this, there was a knock at the door and the psychologist would go over and answer the door and they'd be talking to someone. And they would come back and the, and the kids just kind of waiting there expectantly. And so the psychologist would take a marshmallow and would put it right on the, right on the table and then say, I have to go do something really quick and here's the deal. I'm gonna leave this marshmallow for you. 
But if you don't eat it, if you leave it, when I come back in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you three marshmallows. And this was actually the test. Like all the other stuff was just, you know, pre-stuff. They were just kind of getting them primed a little bit. This was the real test. And so they filmed these kids. And, and as soon as the psychologist left the room, these kids, it, it, they showed them doing all kinds of things. They would like sing songs. They would walk around the room. They would hold their head. One kid, this is no exaggeration, literally licked all the way around the marshmallow. Just like, you know, hoping to like gain some marshmallow molecules, you know, from the wood around it. And so these kids were just agonizing over just like waiting, waiting, you know, until that person came back. Now, some of the kids, like as soon as the door closed, they're just like, they're just eating the marshmallow, like no waiting at all. But it was this test. And so here's, here's the amazing thing is that this test was not just for the moment. Because obviously they were seeing, could kids delay their gratification? How well did they do at waiting? But they actually followed these kids. They followed them through junior high. They followed them through high school. They followed them uh, through into adulthood. And literally now these kids are in their 50s and they have still been tracking how their lives have turned out. And it had to do with those who were able and willing to wait and delay gratification and those who struggled with that. Now, my statement in doing that today is not that if you're someone who can't wait, well, you're gonna be messed up your entire life. That's not what this is about. But it was amazing how kids who at four years old were able to wait and delay gratification. At 50 years old, that actually translated into some other things in their life as they were able to wait. And here's the thing is I was, I was reading it and just kind of laughing about it and thinking like, wow, how does, it, how does that really work out for us? What I realized was this, we can all admit that waiting is hard. Waiting is challenging because it tests us at some, some deeper levels. Because waiting and something like trust says something about our heart and those often go hand in hand. Like the kid who was looking at that marshmallow and thinking, well, I'm gonna get three, but if you can't trust the psychologist that they're gonna give you three, then why wait, right? So waiting and trust and hope all kind of have this way of being mixed up together. And really as, as human beings, it goes all the way back to, to the garden. It goes back to Genesis when Adam and Eve first took that bite of that forbidden marshmallow uh, fruit, right? See, waiting has always been hard for people. And I think especially in our culture today, we live in such a fast-paced, kind of a hurry-up culture, but also an on-demand culture. I mean, you think about it. We live in an air-frying, FedExing, Amazoning, streaming internet, we can get it right now kind of culture. I remember when I was a kid, there was a movie that came on once a year. Some of you who are uh, a little bit older remember. It was The Wizard of Oz. You remember? It came on once a year. And I remember it would always be on a Sunday night. And when I was growing up, we had church on Sunday night. So the night The Wizard of Oz was playing, it'd be about, you know, four or five o'clock and it's like, oh, mom, dad, I'm not feeling very good. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I can go to church. <laughs> 
And the real reason was, this is like, this is the only time you get to see the Wizard of Oz, right? You had to wait for it all year. Now you can stream it anytime you want. You can buy it on, you know, Netflix or any of those things. Like, it doesn't even matter anymore because we can just do things when we want. But what does it look like when you have to wait? And how good are you at waiting? How good are you at waiting in traffic? I've seen some of you. <laughs> some of you have seen me, right? We're, we're not too good at this. How good are you waiting for your kids to come home, like at Christmas time? How good are you at waiting for them to finally go back home after Christmas time, right? And maybe more importantly, what are you waiting for? What is the, to use this example, what is the marshmallow? What is the thing in life that you really desire, that you really hope for? We actually touched on this uh, earlier this fall. We did a series called If Only. And we looked at these things that we sometimes think, if only, if only I had that. And we struggled with waiting. We struggled with like even just sitting back knowing that, that the only one who can fulfill that is Jesus himself. But man, we do everything we can to fill that void, to make it happen in our life. And this is not about being productive. This is not about being a go-getter or doing those kinds of things. It's about really trying to be our own fulfillment and trying to do that rather than looking to Jesus, right? We looked at if only I had better relationships, if only I had more things, if only I had success, right? We, we, we try to fulfill that, that void in our life, and it gets extremely personal for us. Because maybe you're sitting here in this room, and you're the parent of, um, I guess for lack of a better term, we sometimes call it a prodigal child. One of your kids is just off, and man, you've been praying for them, and you've been waiting, waiting, waiting. For this moment, you would hope that they would someday come home, both to you, but also to God. Maybe you're single and you've been waiting for marriage and you wonder, how, how long? Like, would anything ever change in that? Maybe you're married and you wanna have kids. Maybe your, your health is not good and you're, you're, you're waiting for healing and you wonder, it's like, will, will any of these things ever even happen? And so we see those personal sides. And again, we know just kind of the little clues around it, like, again, waiting in traffic or, or you know, being in line at Costco or something and going like, oh, man, this is just kind of crazy, right? I mean, we, we see the clues of our impatience and our hurry-up culture. And yet waiting is one of the most important key things that we can learn in life because it teaches us something deep. It affects our very heart and soul when we can live with this sense of, of patience and trust. One author, his name is Lewis Smedes, he said this, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. And then he says this, waiting is the hardest work of hope. 
And here's the challenge, and this, this may seem like a really hard Christmas message, like, Dave, aren't you just gonna tell us about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the, the shepherds and you know, just kind of the, 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 the feel-good story? And it's like, yeah, we're gonna touch on that a little bit. But here's the challenge, even for those people, even for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all that was going on, God sometimes chooses to make us wait because he desires to develop something deep in us. That's how much he loves us. He's willing to do the hard work with us. He's willing to do the deep work with us. In the Old Testament alone, on 40 some different occasions, God's people are told to wait on the Lord. If you were here last week, you know the phrase that they used. It was this, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? It's scattered throughout the Bible. And maybe you yourself is, have actually said words like that. How long, oh Lord? Like, is this ever gonna come to pass? And you can see story after story through scripture. If you go back to Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are given the promise of a child, that they're gonna be the, the birth of a nation, and guess what? They have to wait 24 years. In Exodus 1, Israel is in captivity and the oppression of Egypt, right? And they cried out to God, and they're waiting for deliverance, and they wait 400 years. And after they get out of captivity, Moses leads them, you know, across the, the Red Sea and, and they're going, they're heading towards the promised land. And yet what do they do? They wander in the desert for 40 years. Now that was their fault, but they still wandered for, for 40 years. And my guess is that most of us here are waiting on something, some promise, some, some hope. So what does it take for us to wait well. And that's what we're gonna look at in this wonder story, this, this song of hope from a man named Simeon. And as we get to the background in Luke chapter two, we see that this is a hard time in Israel's history. This is a season when, when they're poor and they're weak and they're living under the oppression of Roman rule. And it, they haven't heard a specific word from God in over 400 years. And yet there's this kind of bubbling sense of excitement and anticipation that in the midst of this oppression, in the midst of these dark days when they're crying out to God, could it be that the Messiah is on the rise? Could it be that God is bringing something that they're not quite sure of, but it's the hope that they've been longing for? And so if you're there in Luke chapter two. I'm going to start at verse 25. And we're going to find out about this man named Simeon, and we're going to see his encounter uh, with this child, this Savior, Jesus. So it says this, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. And he was righteous and devout and was eagerly, here's the word, waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, and here's the song of hope. He said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. 
Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. So we're gonna stop right there. Some of you maybe have never read that before. So this is literally in the days after Jesus was born. So the shepherds have come, the angels have sung, the, the manger scene has taken place, and now they go to the temple with this, this infant baby Jesus, and there's this man that is waiting there. His name is Simeon. Had no idea what was going on, just felt God's leading him there, and he holds in his hand the very promise that was given him the hope of the world, Jesus. But he's been waiting and waiting and waiting. So how in the world do we do that? Well, I'm gonna give you two things this morning. The first is this, write it down. I wait by holding on to Jesus. I wait by holding on to Jesus. So you realize that what we just read here in Luke chapter two is all we know about Simeon. There's no other mention of him in scripture. We have no history, but we do know a few things about him. One, he's old. Two, he's godly. And three, he's been waiting for a long, long time for the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, the spirit leads Simeon and he takes hold of this baby. And years before, he was told, you're not going to die until you've seen the Messiah. You've seen the rescuer with your own two eyes. And you have to believe that Simeon at some point was going, God, you got to hurry up because I'm getting old. Like, I, I don't know how much longer this is going to be. Now, we don't know that he did that. But my guess is, as human beings, right, we start looking at our own clock. We start looking at our own time frame going, man, God, if you're going to do something, you better hurry up because time is running out. And I wonder if Simeon had that, those same kind of doubts like, God, you promised something, but are you really going to come through? You promised you would do this, but uh, how, do I, how do I manage this in the meantime? But when the moment finally comes, one look through his faded and fading eyesight is all it takes. And he's holding Jesus in his arms. And he gives this praise because he's holding the promise right here. And I don't know if some of you have ever experienced that where God has made a promise to you. Maybe it's a promise through his word. Maybe there's something he's confirmed in you. And, and you've waited and you've waited and, until finally you just didn't even know if you could wait anymore. And God has come through in this way that maybe is absolutely surprising. And you're sitting there now with the reality of the promise. But you weren't holding on to the promise. The only hope we have is that we're holding on to Jesus, who's the one who keeps his promises. Simeon was the same way. He was holding on to what God had told him, but really he's holding on to his faith in the one who made the promise. And remember, here's his words. He says, Lord, now I can die in peace because as you promised me, I've seen the Savior you have given to all people, a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people. Now, Simeon uses some phrases here. One is, I can die in peace. And it's a familiar phrase in the history of the church. 
It means that Simeon's time of waiting is done. It's not like this moment of despair, like, oh, now death is going to come. It's that he hung on to complete the task. He hung on to the very end. He received what he was waiting for. The Messiah had come. But what had kept him waiting throughout his entire life? I think it was this incredible hope that he had that God would, in his will, his time, and in his way, bring about the fulfillment of the promise. He would bring about the Savior. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, now that we're saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the reason Simeon was able to wait so well because he had hope that God was good, that God was faithful, that he was a promise keeper, and that love was coming. Maybe today you're excited about this weekend. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Maybe there's family coming into town, friends are gonna be over, things that you're gonna do, gifts that you might receive. But for a lot of people, this is a tough time of year. Some people really struggle. Maybe you're sitting right here going, this is a lonely time for me. I had someone tell me they just wanna disappear in the month of December. And we struggle with it because it triggers so many things for us. But I'll tell you, regardless of what this particular holiday season looks like, I would challenge you this, don't look to the holiday, look to Jesus. Because it's all about him. He's the salvation and the hope that we have. That's what Simeon looked to. He looked to the promise keeper, not just the promise. And our relationship with God, our relationship with each other is something that will ultimately come with the salvation that God has. Do you know that in Luke, the word salvation has this all-encompassing connotation? It means that ultimately when our salvation comes in its entirety, every part of us that has been damaged, corrupted, hurt, or ruined by sin will someday be restored and healed. And that's the hope we have. Write this down for number two. I can wait because I have ultimate hope. I can wait because I have ultimate hope. There's an author and pastor, his name is uh, Steve Machia, and he wrote a powerful piece on waiting. I want to read just a little bit of it to you. Here's what he said. He said, who among us likes to wait? Every time I'm confronted with a need to wait, I tend more towards impatience. Perhaps you can relate. In the waiting room for the doctor or dentist, I fidget with my phone or grab a magazine to peruse. I don't know about you, I've never seen that in my life. That's just like a foreign thing, right? At the grocery store, I prefer the fastest line. At the four-way intersection, my car matters most. <laughs> I've yet to meet a person who likes to wait. And if I ever do meet a person, I'll want to know their secret. Why do they like to wait and how do they do it? And then he says this, God is very comfortable waiting. 40 days or 40 years, maybe even a generation or longer. God speaks and his truth emerges in his time, mysteriously and miraculously. However, we read the Bible and we forget the span of time. We pray and we want the answer now, sooner than later. We reflect and worship and even there we're searching for an instant blessing. But when we learn to wait, we practice patience and we discover hope. To wait patiently is to hope. 
And this is the season of waiting, this Advent. Prophetic utterances spoken for generations coming true in Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. So let's wait like Isaiah, like Mary, like Joseph, like the shepherds, like the wise men of old, even like Simeon, because he will come again once more. His entry into our world and into our hearts is worth the wait. Together we wait for his coming again for the final time, waiting. It's good for your soul. Do you know that there will come a day as we wait patiently on God, as we serve him faithfully, that we will stand before him someday and you know what he will say? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's not an instantaneous thing. That is day by day, moment by moment, choosing his way. And waiting has always been tied to hope. Think about these words, waiting, patience, faithfulness, kindness, grace, promises, hope. All these things weave and merge together. They're all knotted together in Jesus because he's our only hope for healing in a hurting world. It's our hope and his ultimate salvation that enables us to wait on God's purpose and God's promise. But I want you to know this, waiting is not passive. It's not just sitting back going, well, maybe one of these days. Waiting on God is this continual daily decision for each one of us to say, Lord, I'll trust you and I'll obey you. I, even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way that I want, and may never turn how exactly I want, Lord. But I will tell you this, I'm betting everything on you, Jesus. And I will live for you regardless of the circumstances because I want your will, your way, and your time. Can you pray that? Can you say that to God? I tell you, that, that comes when we know that he is a God who is good that he's a God who's faithful, that he's a God who keeps his promises. As Simeon was in the temple inspired by the Holy Spirit, he knew he was holding the promise in his hands. And so here's the words he spoke to Mary. He said, this child will be rejected by many in Israel and it will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others. Isn't that crazy? 2,000 years later, that's what we've been able to experience. Then he says, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. This prophecy refers to the 30 years down the road when Jesus is this grown man, starts his ministry, sharing the good news of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And he'll gather around him disciples, people who will believe and who will follow him and trust him. But it also refers to those who will reject him. And the statement to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul, is a picture of that day on the cross. But in the process, and this is the core of the prophecy, Jesus will be revealed to the hearts of each one. In other words, Christmas is about Jesus coming to provide the hope of salvation, love coming to you and to me. Even though we might have arranged things differently, right? If we could write the story, we would have written different things. Jesus would have come to the palace. He would have come to, to the certain kinds of people. But, but God always has a way of working his best together. We can trust him in this. I have asked a good friend of mine, and she's a beautiful part of our church family. Her name is Leona Nichols. And Leona wrote 
a poem called, I don't even know the name of the poem. It's something like, I would have done things differently, just like we've been talking about. And it's a story and it's a poem of hope. And Leona wrote it for us. And you've come and read a poem for us these last few years. Yes, I and have. This is a beautiful lady. And so I want you just to sit back for a moment as Leona reads this poem. How, how can you not write a poem about Christmas? It's a, such a wonderful time of the year. But the title of this particular poem, I have quite a few Christmas poems, is We Would Have Done It Differently. Have you ever thought about how Jesus came into this world? We would have done it differently. So that's what this poem says. We would have chosen a palace. God chose a manger stall to invade the world with his gift of love, his redemption for one and all. We would have chosen the powerful of the world to hear the song. The announcement of the greatest event of all ages to come along. But it was only shepherds out on a hill who heard the carols of love, who saw the vastness of angelic choirs filling the heavens above. Who would have chosen a lowly birth or a simple maiden unknown to be the first to smile at him on his strange little manger throne? And who would have chosen a desperate world, a world filled with sin and shame, to receive the most unspeakable gift, to bring life in one simple name? It was God the Father who looked down in love to a people lost without hope. It was God who devised the humble plan so far beyond human scope. We would have done it differently. But God in his wisdom chose this, a starry night, an, an angel choir to shower the world with bliss. And so we come on this holy night in awe of the Father's design. We kneel at his feet and we thank him for the greatest gift of all time. Amen. The greatest gift given for you and for me. And we come here on this morning to remember, to celebrate. And I don't know what your heart looks like today. Maybe your heart is lonely. Maybe you feel sad. Maybe it's joy. I don't know. But however you come today, know that God has the greatest gift of his presence, of his hope, of his joy, of life with him. And he offers that to you. Would you bow your head with me? Father, today we thank you that even though we might have done it differently, we would have written a different story, we would have woven different characters together, but you chose a young woman and a young man who were struggling, who were trying to figure things out, Lord, just sometimes how we feel of trying to figure things out, and yet, Lord, they walked with faith and obedience through all of their doubts and fears and watched you do the miraculous.
You came to shepherds and wise men. You came to an old man named Simeon who'd been waiting and waiting and you showed how faithful you are. And Lord, I know for many of us in this room, there's things we've been waiting for, hoping for. We keep trying to hurry things along, but Lord, in your perfect timing, we choose once again to say your will, your way, your time. We trust you, we love you, we honor you on this Christmas season. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as we finish today, uh, we have some team that have made just a, a really cool little video to finish our time today. So sit back for a moment and watch this. Sing this with me. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Cry. 